Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery, BTR.org. I'm Anne. I'm sure you remember what it was like when you were searching for help, maybe for your husband, hoping to find the right program or therapist. That's why I started podcasting. I supported my husband through seven years of pornography addiction recovery, and not one therapist during that time told me I was experiencing emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion. I didn't want any other woman on the planet to be in the dark. If you're like the majority of my listeners, you're experiencing the type of abuse that's invisible and difficult to wrap your head around. Your husband is using porn or having affairs or lying to you, and you're getting the same bad advice about how to improve communication or your relationship. If you need support from women who totally understand, check out our daily group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a session today. One simple anonymous way to help spread the word is to click, follow, or subscribe to the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Podcast on your favorite podcasting app. While you're there, every five-star rating helps make this podcast more visible and will help save other women from getting the wrong kind of help, like a couple program that will make this type of abuse worse. For those of you who follow or subscribe to this podcast, thank you so much. Your support means so much to me. Here's a five-star rating we received on Apple Podcasts. So grateful for this podcast. I'd gotten connected with BTR through a friend. I found out my husband had been using porn and lying to me. I don't know what I would have done without BTR being there to support me and help me get to safety, or even realize what safety is, or that I'm worthy of living in safety in my home. Since then, I've come out of the fog to recognize how much emotional and sexual abuse I've experienced. It's heartbreaking and devastating, and so few people understand. This podcast helps me stay grounded. I've read a few other reviews before I wrote this, and I wanted to roll my eyes and giggle at some of the negative reviews. I want to tell those reviewers, none of us domestic abuse victims are looking for excuses to blame partners. We are just looking for truth. That's all. Truth and safety. BTR podcast just helps us victims stay grounded in what is actually true. Men are safe from false accusations here. This podcast will help us hold to truth. Keep up the fantastic work, please, Anne. I'm so deeply grateful for you and the hope you share. We have had quite a few negative reviews from abusers lately on Apple Podcasts, so if you can take the time to give us a five-star rating and then write a review, it would help a lot with the algorithm, making sure that we find the women who need us and not abusive men who don't want other people to find us. Jane Gilmore is back on today. If you didn't listen to last week, Listen to that first so you get an introduction to who she is and then join us here. We were talking about grooming and we are going to just continue that conversation now. Grooming in and of itself is abuse. So he was abusive the entire time, but just sometimes it felt good and sometimes it felt terrible. And it's also about making sure that that feeling of always walking on eggshells, he could turn at any minute. So even if he's being sweet, you're still a little wary you're still always guarding you're still always checking because he can turn on a dime and you never know when that's going to happen so that's also part of the abuse is keeping you hyper vigilant and walking on eggshells all the time and again if you're looking for those signs is this is this abusive I'm not sure if you're scared if you never know how he's going to react if you're always thinking well is he going to suddenly start if I say this or if I do this or if I wear this is he going to snap then you're pretty sure that's a sign that the relationship is abusive because in a a good, healthy relationship, being afraid of somebody should not be part of it. 
fear should not be on the table. It really shouldn't. For my audience, if they're thinking, well, I'm not afraid of my husband, let me submit that you might be afraid of them using porn again. For example, you might be afraid of finding out that they're sexting a woman that you didn't know about. You might be afraid of finding out that he's having an affair. So even if you you think, I'm not afraid of him punching me, for example, or maybe I'm not afraid of him screaming in my face, are you afraid of something? And consider that being afraid that your husband might be using porn or being afraid that my husband might be lying about something is fear. In my really healthy relationships with my sister, for example, or my my parents, or I don't know, you know, just my healthy relationships, I never, ever, ever, ever think I'm afraid of her lying to me again. And it's also being afraid of contempt, of somebody putting you down and shaming you and making you feel terrible about yourself. If I say something, is he going to tell me I'm stupid or worthless or that because of what I said that that makes me a bad person? Being afraid of contempt is also a sign of abuse. And the contempt can be very subtle. It does not have to be the flat out, like, I think you're stupid. It can just be like, really? Mm, I'm not sure that's true. Yeah. And I think that thing you said about your sister and your friends, that's also a really good guideline. Like if you've got a really good relationship with a friend or a family member that you feel really comfortable and safe with, and then compare that to how you feel with your boyfriend or husband. If you don't have that same feeling of comfort and safety and being able to be yourself and not having to walk on eggshells all the time, well, why not? What's going on? What is it that you're afraid of? that makes you unable to relax and be yourself and be happy and comfortable around them. And I don't want women thinking, well, it's because my sister's a girl or my mom or my friend or whatever. That confusion of like, well, all men are like this, apparently. They're not. No. Not all men are abusive. It's just because he's a man and I don't understand men, maybe. That is not what's happening. There are healthy men out there that you would never be afraid that they are going to lie to you again because they didn't ever lie to you in the first place. So that fear of like, is this going to happen again? Am I going to find out again that he's been using porn? Am I going to find out again that he has a secret credit card or that he's gambling or some secret thing that you didn't know? And then he grooms you and says, oh, I'm not going to do it again. There's a fear there that it's going to happen because it happened one time. But with my healthy friends, it's never happened one time. They've never lied to me about some really serious thing that affects me greatly, not even once. Absolutely. People can make mistakes, right? You can have a bad day, you can have a squabble, you can something can go wrong, but there's a huge difference between that and keeping those kind of secrets that can feel shameful. Mm-hmm. The sort of things that another really good one if you're looking for I'm not sure is this abusive or not, are you ashamed to tell people? If you're ashamed to tell people, oh, I found he was cheating on me, I found out he you know, he said this thing to me or he mm-hmm. did this thing and I don't want to tell my close friends, that's one of those moments that you have to think, well, hang on, why? Because if it's that you know that your friend is going to be horrified, why is he doing this to you? Why is he making you feel like this? What's going on that you're ashamed to tell people about it? That's one of the key moments and that was something that I remember saying this to a friend of mine just recently 
if he does something to you that you're afraid to tell me or or that you're ashamed to tell me, even if you don't want to tell me, you need to know that that's a sign something is really wrong. Well, and I think also when women do go for help, there there are things that they are ashamed to say. So rather than say that, they say things like, well, he gets very upset when I, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then the person listening might be like, oh, that happens to me too. Those are regular communication problems. And so then they don't know that they have omitted a key thing that would help them understand what was happening to them. So they're not aware that they've omitted this thing. And so then if they listen to their, you know, friend's advice, they might think, oh, maybe it is just a communication issue. And then they'll work on communication rather than realizing, no, this is not a communication issue. This is an abuse issue. And one of the reasons why I haven't been able to figure out that it's an abuse issue is because I haven't shared all of the really shameful things that have occurred, which is part of why we created BTR. We have a daily group so that women can get on and just start talking with other women who are saying that same thing. And they can just say it out loud and think like, is this normal? <laughs> right? It's a safe place to say it where they might not necessarily be talking to a friend or family that they don't really want to share it with right this very second because they're, they don't want to like hurt their husband's reputation or something like that they can share it maybe in a safe place and then start reaching out to people like their friends or family members because you're going to need support from people that you know in real life absolutely and that that feeling of shame is so corrosive it does so much harm inside you that to be holding those secrets and knowing that you feel shame about it trying to hold on to the idea that it's not your fault and you didn't do anything wrong. But but when you feel ashamed of something that's happening in your marriage or in your relationship and so you don't tell people because of it, it it's again, it's part of the abuse because it, it makes you feel like it's your fault, like you're doing something wrong and you're not. But that feeling of shame is hard to overcome and then the longer it goes on and the more you hide from your friends and your family, the harder it gets to say after a year or two years or even 10 years, well, actually he's been doing this to me for 10 years and I didn't tell you. So having somewhere you can go where you can finally say that out loud and have someone say, that's okay, I believe you and it's not your fault is one of the most important moments I find in women who are finally able to recognise, yes, this is abuse and yes, I need to think seriously about whether or not I stay with this man. Real quick before a response, there are a lot of so-called betrayal trauma therapists or coaches or groups out there, but they don't approach pornography use or infidelity as an abuse issue, or they try to quote-unquote treat both the abuser and the victim in the same setting, which is unethical. So if you hear something in this episode you relate to, check out the group session schedule at btr.org slash group. We'd love to see you in a group session today. Now back to our conversation. Here's a five-star rating we received for Trauma Mama on Amazon. She says, partners of sex addicts are the victims of sex addicts and are being treated as perpetrators and the destruction is massive. She said, I sent copies of Trauma Mama Husband Drama to some of my family members in hopes that they someday come to understand the destruction, manipulation, and abuse by my ex-husband, a sex addict. They still blame me for his behavior and don't understand my extreme reactions to finding out about his behavior. 
My husband was with over 25 women, including my best friend, our children's friends, mothers, wives of clients, multiple prostitutes that I know about. I could go on and on. The money he spent on them, the gaslighting, my doctors told me they had never seen someone so gaslit. I'm not proud of this. And then when I found out, I spent two years obsessively trying to understand with little to no support. It honestly took me eight years to get out of the fog. I now see his addiction as abuse and manipulation. This book shows the deep down destruction to partners of sex addicts in an easy way. I'm hoping to learn how to demand and deserve respect and find some kind of happiness. Thank you so much for sharing. If you have purchased Trauma Mama Husband Drama through Amazon, please go to Amazon and give it a five-star rating. Every single rating, like I said before, helps women find us. When it comes to consent with sex, I talk a lot about how the pornography addiction recovery community is basically coercing women to have sex with men and also the religious the religious community. Uh, I'm actually religious myself, so I'm not like anti-religion or anything like that. I'll talk about the two different things and then I'd love to hear your response on both, but I just want to kind of give you a broad overview. Pornography addiction recovery industrial complex They'll say things like, well, he has these sexual needs, and so if he doesn't have these needs met somewhere, he's maybe going to act out somewhere else. So it's sort of threatening. Like, you kind of are obligated to give him sex because, like, he he has to have sex, apparently. And so if you don't give it to him, where is he going to get it from? Right? There's that sort of idea. And then there's sort of the religious overtones of, like, that you need to submit, that he is the head of your household that in order for him to be faithful and to obey the commandments and to not break the law of chastity, that you need to have sex with him because otherwise it's going to be too hard for him to obey the law of chastity. He will not be able to do it. If he's not able to have sex with you, then it's kind of going to be your fault that he breaks the commandments by having sex with someone else, right? By masturbating, using pornography, whatever else he's doing, because you were not available to him. And this is your duty. Have you heard of these two things before? I have heard of that kind of thing. Um, It happens in a lot of different ways in a lot of different circumstances. So say if I'm in schools, I'll hear teenage girls talking to me about, well, he really needs it. Um, I don't know if you have it in the US, but here, when I was a teenager, they used to call it the blue balls thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, His balls are going to fall off. This is a medical medical issue, right? I I have a medical issue. And if you don't help me with it, my balls are going to fall off. Yes, exactly. You have to do this for me because otherwise I'm going to be in pain. But if you go back to that definition of consent that we were talking about at the beginning of two people actively want to share touch, then that just doesn't work because also, both those things that you're talking about there is making the woman responsible for how the man behaves. Nobody can ever be responsible for how someone else behaves. If you're talking about adults, he's an adult. He is responsible for his behavior and his choices. If you're going to talk about it and share it and decide what you both want together, that's one thing. But you can't control his behavior. You can't be responsible for his behavior. So if he needs sex, then He's got to be somebody that you want to have sex with. And that's on him. It's not on you to take responsibility for what he does. 
Right. And that's also just a lie. There's no man on the planet that is going to drop dead from lack of sex. It is just not a thing. It's just not. It's also based on that idea that that men need sex and women are the gatekeepers of sex and men need it. And that's just not true. Women like sex too. Women enjoy sex too. And in, with good sex, and I mean consensual in that it's shared and both people want it, both people enjoy it. And if you're not enjoying it, it's and you're not able to say why and you're not able to talk about what you want and he doesn't want to hear what you want or what you need to enjoy it as well, then that's a sign that there's something wrong, that there's that ability to share. And it's not easy to talk about sex. And it's, you know, I'm certainly not going to say, well, everybody can just sit up and say, well, I want this and then I want this and then point A. Right, and right. Point B. And, you know, that, it's not an easy conversation. But if he's just not even interested in hearing about what you want so that you enjoy it too, then you've got to think, well, well, what's going on here? Because this is not sharing a relationship. This is, again, going back to that transactional thing of he's getting something and manipulating you into giving it. I have a concern about this because I think that with all of these discussions about consent and all of these discussions about making sure that she's cared for, if an abuser listens to these conversations, they are very good at adopting this type of language and then weaponizing it. So for example, they'll, they'll say, oh, it really matters to me that that your needs are met too. They're able to parrot back this information. So I worry that women will be like, oh, well, he's saying this. And so check, check, check. I'm safe. So one of the things I want to talk about is being really aware of how you feel on the inside. So even if he's saying all the right things, like, do you actively want to be sharing touch with him? Do you want to? Even if he's saying all the right things, that does not mean that you need to want to do that. It's okay if he says all the right things and you still don't want to do it. It's okay if he says all the right things and you still don't feel comfortable. So to be really in tune with, I call it your sacred internal warning system. <laughs> the other thing to think about is to watch his actions. So if he is saying all the right things, but his actions are not. So for example, he's saying, yes, it really matters that what you want is important too, while he's really physically pressuring you to have sex and you're not really wanting to, you're not into it, right? But he's saying all the right things while he's still plowing forward. So it does make me nervous sometimes to talk about like, this is what he would say <laughs> if he were a healthy person, because they can always pick up on that healthy language and use it. And you, you need to know that words are not the most important thing here. Absolutely. And you're so right. It's about what does he do? If the actions don't match the words, it's like an apology, right? If somebody says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. And then they do it again. They didn't mean the apology. The apology was just a way to make you stop talking about it. If they're saying, I care about what you want, I'm, you have to want this, you know, this, this has got to be consensual, but then they actually don't care about consent, then it's just a sales pitch. It's a manipulation not actually genuinely caring about what you want and then responding to it. Mm -hmm. Even something like, I, just, I really care what you want. I, I really care. Um, I, I'm interested. Why don't you tell me? And then she tells him and then he says, well, is it my turn now? Can I now tell you what I want? <laughs> right. And then the manipulation happens. 
then he does his sale pitch his sales pitch for that that transaction and he is trying to make that sale think about like if he really heard and understood what i said this isn't some kind of negotiation where you say okay this is what i want and then he says well this is what i want and then somebody wins but if he is abusive and if he is transactional that is what he is going to think in his mind he will think well she won because she said she had a headache and so we're not having sex. So she just won that rather than thinking, oh, we are deciding this together. Yes, exactly. And yeah. it really, consent really is about, and this again is one of the things that we teach a lot. Consent is not just about what you say. Consent can be nonverbal. So one of the things that we talk about in those classes, and again, while I do them in schools, I also do them with adults, if Notice somebody's body language, notice their expression, notice how they're reacting. If somebody's withdrawing from you or turning their face away or their body's all stiffened up, what does that mean? And if you're the one doing that and they're not interested, they're not caring, they're not even noticing, then consent is not there in their actions. So actions and words have to match because that's also part of abuse is saying one thing and doing another. So it creates that, that what they call cognitive dissonance where you don't really understand what's going on because he's saying all the right things but something else is happening and now I don't understand because he said this thing but then he did this thing and is that my fault or what's going on? Why did that happen? That happened because he was manipulating you. Okay, we're going to pause the conversation. Jane's going to join me again next week. So make sure to stay tuned. If this podcast is helpful to you, please help us reach other women by following or subscribing and giving us a five-star rating. Thank you for helping other women find us. If you've already purchased a copy of my book, Trauma Mama, Husband Drama, please circle back and give it a five-star rating. A lot of women are searching for books about betrayal trauma on Amazon, and rating Trauma Mama will help them find this podcast, which is free to everyone. Your donations keep this podcast going. Go to our website, btr.org, scroll to the bottom, click on support the BTR podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there.